0: It's great to be here again together. It's wonderful to sing with you all. You have such enthusiasm to sing and praise God. It's also really good to have you here, Pius. Thanks for coming. It's special for us to get to meet you before summer camp. Um, We're all excited about summer camp, so we're excited to meet you here. And thanks for bringing your wife as well. As you turn to James, we're going to be in James chapter 3. just going to do our little review. Hopefully you guys picked picked people that sit next to you. It's not too awkward to do this. once again, why are we doing this? We're doing this to kind of remember where we've been through James, um, so we get a flow of the message as well, and, and, and maybe even rethink James. This uh, Maybe this is the first time you've ever thought about James, not as like the New Testament Proverbs, but that's, that's okay. So first off, uh, why, why should I rejoice in trials? Remember? Because trials strengthen your faith, but only if you uh, pray to God for wisdom. Why? What does wisdom do? Wisdom helps you think eternally. You thought I forgot, didn't you? Uh, wisdom uh, looks forward to the crown. Oh, uh, Wisdom knows that temptation comes from within. And wisdom trusts everything that comes from God. But there's another question James tries to answer. How do I know my faith is... True. How do I know my faith is genuine? How do I know my faith is real? Uh, let everybody be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. God's Word is my mirror so that I can do it. A True faith, remember, controls the mouth. That's helpful for tonight. Uh, helps the weak and turns away from the world. True faith doesn't show personal favoritism. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, Love for others keeps God's law. And then you remember last week's roots without fruits are kaputs. It's not real faith. It's dead faith. That's what roots are. Roots. Never mind. Okay, so we'll we'll save the the one for tonight in just a a minute here. And we're going to read James 3, 1 through 2, just to kind of get our foot in the door here. James 3. 1 and 2 says this, do not, many of you, become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the entire body as well. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we're thankful to come together in the name of Jesus Christ and hear your word. And I pray that you would reveal yourself in your word and you'd reveal us to us through your word this evening. Um, Help me to clearly uh, articulate and explain what's here and help us to all be changed a little bit more into the likeness of Christ through your word today. I pray also if there's unbelievers here that they would be convicted of their sin before you. Confess it and turn to you in faith. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, I might not always like them, but I appreciate that warning signs exist. Okay? Don't always appreciate what warning signs cause me to do, like slow down or stop, but I appreciate the fact that warning signs exist. I, I appreciate the sign that says caution. Curve ahead. Reduce speed. I appreciate that, right? I appreciate the sign that tells me bump. Even though the sign that's, every time they notify you that it's a bump there, the bump is never as bad as the bump they don't notify you about. But that's a Midwestern (laughs) problem, perhaps. I I appreciate in the Midwest also how they would give you signs saying uh, deer crossing. And you know, maybe I should be a little bit more alert for this part of the road. A little bit here. I also really appreciate the sign that says wrong way. <laughs> I I appreciate the fact that that sign is there. And someday when you're driving, you'll appreciate that sign as well. Particularly when you get on the wrong ramp for the West Side Parkway. <laughs> now, signs, warning signs are great and you appreciate them. You appreciate them because... You understand their purpose, right? This is keeping me from doing something dumb. Or this is protecting me. Or this is warning me. Hey, maybe I shouldn't be holding my drink at the moment that I drive over this bump. Right? (laughs) Signs without a purpose, though, are a little bit frightening. Admittedly, a few years ago in a, uh, a North Carolina town, drivers were alarmed by the following sign that said this. Blasting zone ahead turn off all two-way radios and cell phones. Matter of fact, they were so alarmed by it that a local newspaper had to do like an investigative reporting thing. Like, what happens if I don't (laughs) turn off my cell phone or, heaven forbid, turn off my two-way radio? What happens? Does the blasting go off? Apparently, it's just an abundance of caution. But signs like that, maybe cause a little bit of alarm and fright if we don't totally know the purpose. And James here is, I think, giving us a warning, a strong warning, a dramatic warning, a frightening warning, and it's helpful for us to know the purpose of it so that we can engage with this sign, this warning sign, before us correctly. I'm going to kind of suggest to you, just by way of introduction, before we really get into James 3, like kind of two just purposes that James has and the Bible has in, in warning us in the things that James 3 is going to talk about today. Um, the first warning or the purpose for this warning is, hey, when you have proud lips, when you have haughty lips, those are dangerous things. Haughty lips, proud lips, arrogant speech is a dangerous thing. And, and, and James, just like the rest of the Bible, wants to warn us of the danger of loose, proud arrogant lips. You see here, James is talking to people. He's, he's talking to people who perhaps aspire to be, you see this, teachers. And he says, not many of you should become teachers. What's going on here? Perhaps this is a situation where there's a lot of people that think they know a lot of things about the Christian life and they see themselves as able to teach in the church. The problem is that a lot of these people are talking a lot more about the Word of God than they're actually doing the Word of God, right? They are not quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. They are quick to speak, slow to hear, and as a result, they're not doers of the Word, as we learned about yesterday. They are just people that know a lot of things. And James wants to warn people of the hazard of speaking a lot. If you think you know a lot of things, particularly about the Christian life or about the Bible, and you think you're in a position to teach others, James wants to say to you, whoa, be cautious, be warned to the danger. Now, to be clear, we are really grateful for people that can teach the Word of God, right? The the church lives, is, is, is given a gift in people that can teach, and that's how Christians grow up, by teachers of God's Word. And it's a noble thing, but... To be equally clear, to be a teacher of God's word or in God's church is a dangerous thing. Because you are teaching Christ's people from Christ's word. And he cares a lot about how his word is communicated. If you think you, if you know a lot about the word of God, you need to be worried about what Christ thinks. And and you could say it this way. Those who, those who spend a lot of time talking and particularly teaching the Word of God have an occupational hazard. You know what occupational hazards are, like when you have a certain job that puts you in a dangerous spot because of the materials you have to carry around, or because of the speeds you have to go at, or because of the bullets you have to duck under, those are considered occupational hazards. And to be a teacher of God's word is, in a way, an occupational hazard because Christ cares a lot about what people think about him and in his word. And really, honestly, I'm thankful for this. I'm terrified by this. Reading this chapter is not something that I, a teacher of God's word, like to do all the time. It's quite terrifying to think about how much Jesus Christ cares about the instruction of his word. But I'm also really thankful for it, right? I'm thankful that the teaching of God's word is held to a high standard to the point where God's word even warns us of it. Think about, think about like TSA agents, right? I'm really thankful that they're there. I'm thankful that they're guarding and protecting. Yes, it slows me down. Yes, it scares me sometimes because it reminds me that bad people are around. But in the long run, I am very thankful for their presence because it reminds me that I am being taken care of. And Jesus cares a lot about his church and particularly those who speak in his name. But notice this. There's an occupational hazard to those who want to teach others or instruct others And you're in a more dangerous position because of what you do. But also, notice this, you are in a dangerous position because that position comes with a lot of dangerous activity. Because talking is dangerous. Talking is really dangerous. And this is where it probably applies to all of us. James is talking to teachers, those who want to be teachers. But it really seems as though James is talking to the entire church at the same time. Not many of you should think of yourselves as masters, as, as experts, and hoist your opinions over others if you're not doing it yourself. You shouldn't talk a lot because talking a lot is a dangerous thing to do. Notice verse 2. If you can control the mouth, you can control your entire life. A lot of sin happens when you talk. Sinning and talking are hand in hand. This is what the Bible says all the time as it warns of the danger of the tongue again and again. Proverbs 10, 19, write down this verse. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, right? The more you talk, the more sin you're likely to commit. There's an occupational hazard when you talk a lot. And you should be warned of this and you should be frightened of this before you start thinking, I'm just going to talk all the time, particularly about God's word, because talking is dangerous. Once again, so the purpose here, when, when James is talking, warning about the danger of the tongue, it's to scare us. It's to warn us against just foolish, flippant talking. Particularly, yes, talking about God's word, trying to be a teacher, but just any kind of talking, talking is dangerous. Every time you open your mouth, you are entering into an occupational hazard. And therefore, we should be scared about every time we move our lips. That's one of the purposes. But I also think another purpose and a reason why the Bible warns us about talking so much is that the Word of God and God wants to humble us about ourselves. The Word of God wants to humble us so that we can become useful. I don't think the purpose of this passage is for you to go home and say, I'm going to now take a vow of silence, and I'm never going to talk again. There's a funny story. I'll, I'll tell it because I know, I know this student. I know you love this student and know this student and know his heart. But there was this one time when Matthew Castaneris <laughs> applied this principle to small group time, and he didn't talk for like the entire weekend retreat. And everybody was like so weirded out by him. What are you trying to do? He's like, I'm just trying not to talk because I'm talking too much, right? The application here isn't so much that you never talk, as much as you are humbled in the danger of your mouth so that your talk becomes wiser and, as a result, more useful. That's what the Word of God wants to accomplish in us. Notice he says, not many of you, implying that some of you should be. The Word of God instructs us that the mouth can be a very valuable thing. And when it's humbled under the weight of the danger of the mouth, the tongue becomes very valuable indeed. Proverbs 10:11 says, "The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life." Think about that. A you could be a fountain of life to someone who is parched with thirst. They come like someone who's been straggling their way through the desert, desperate for some truth. Desperate for some grace. And they come to this youth group and you look at them and you say, I'm taking a vow of silence. I will not say a thing. No. We are called to do spiritual good and The Word of God wants to humble us to usefulness. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Psalm 3730 says, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. You could also look at Proverbs where it talks about how the wise man controls his mouth, and therefore he is thought wise. Or you could look in the New Testament where Paul is communicating to churches and appreciating them out loud telling them how much they have been a source of refreshment to him. Philemon is an special example of this. Paul says, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You can't do that without talking. And you need to be sanctified before you can be of refreshment to those people around you. So all to say, I, I would say every time I look at James 3 or any proverb about the tongue, these are the two purposes that I have in mind, right? right. I want, to be, I want to be fearful of the danger of my tongue, but I also want to be humbled so that my tongue can become more useful. That is how we read places and passages like James 3. And now, thinking about it in those terms, how does James warn us Scare us, frighten us, so that we can be humbled to usefulness. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. How does James warn us so that we can be humbled for usefulness? Warn us particularly about the dangers of the tongue. We'll look at three warnings so that we can be humbled into usefulness tonight. Let's look at the first warning. First warning, your mouth is powerful. Your mouth is is powerful. You see this in James 3, verse 3. Now if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Verse 4, look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are still Directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot wills. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Early in uh, my relationship with Serena, or maybe it was when we were married, it was was a long time ago. We used to have this inside joke. Now maybe you'll think this is stupid and silly, but it was really funny. And every once in a while I still do it, just because it's funny. You sneak up behind the person, and you, you, you guess. You make a calculated guess. Which, which leg is structural right now? You know what I mean when I'm saying structural? There's more weight on one leg. It's like straighter like this, and then you sneak up behind them, and you kick them in the structural leg, and then you yell, structural, and the hope is that all their weight was on that leg, and they'll collapse to the ground and then you'll laugh and they'll get mad at you while the you know the supper is all over the floor, all over the place like that, right? The the point is some parts of the body carry more weight than others. And you can have a lot of fun with those parts of the body sometimes, right? That's how the tongue is. It is a small part of the body, but it has great importance, great power, great significance even. They say the the average weight of a tongue, if you're a female, 60 grams. I don't know that for uh, personal reasons. Uh, The guy is 70 grams or about. It's just a small amount of of human flesh, gross. Sorry about that, ladies. Uh, But in comparison to the whole body, it's pretty small, pretty insignificant. But this is what James is saying. It has incredible significance to the way the entire body moves. It it, it directs the body. It is like a bit or it's like a rudder. Matter of fact, you can have a massive ship that's steered by a very small rudder. You You can do a lot with a very small thing. You can have a huge horse that is controlled by a very small jockey. Right, Tony? Can you imagine? So, like, I was looking this up today. Like, the biggest horse they've ever found, it's like in 1928 or something like that, called uh, Brookie the Supreme? Yeah, that's right. yeah, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It was a draft horse. It weighed, it weighed uh, about three... No, three thousand two hundred pounds, which is about a ton and a half and fun, if you want to think about it in those terms. Uh, ten and nineteen hand lengths, which is high for a horse, they say. But anyway, this horse is huge and Tony could have ridden on it if she was a hundred years younger. <laughs> Never mind. But anyway, the idea is the idea is you can control a very massive creature with a lot of power with a very small bit. And the the lesson is here You you can walk into a lot of trouble with your tongue. You can't always walk out of a lot of trouble with that same tongue but you can boy walk into a lot of trouble with a very small member of your body. You can cause a lot of you can cause a lot of powerful things to happen from very small words. And the the lesson is don't underestimate the significance of the words you speak. Even if they seem so small and insignificant to you, this is what James is talking about. He's not talking about actual, actual, actually the tongue being a problem. He's talking about what you do with your tongue. Don't, underestimate how significant, seemingly insignificant things can be. Hitler wrote a book called Mein Kampf, and there's some guesses as to how much, how many words that actually took him. 35,000 to 40,000 words or so, but if you uh, calculate it all out and you divide it by the Holocaust, you realize very quickly that for every word that Hitler wrote in his book Against the Jews, basically, 150 Jews died. For every single word. Don't underestimate the significance that your words can have in destroying someone else. Don't underestimate the power of your tongue. Let's look at another warning, a second warning. Your mouth is not only powerful, your mouth is dangerous. Your mouth is dangerous. Now, you'd think with all that power that the natural application that James would go for here is, use your tongue for good and not for evil. But it seems as though to me that James is saying, your Tongue has a lot of power, and mainly it is a lot of power to do a lot of damage. That seems to be what James is saying. It seems as though he's not saying, look at all the good things we can do with our tongue. It's more like you have a lot of capability to do a lot of danger, a lot of destruction. Notice what he says in the second half of verse 5. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our existence, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and birds and of reptiles and creatures and the sea of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. Verse eight, but no one can tame the tongue. It is, notice this, a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Oh, continuing on with this small but very big and significant theme, notice this, the tongue is repeatedly described in terrifying language. Your tongue is small but powerful, and it's powerful in destructive ways. Notice that it is like a fire. It's like a fire. Now, we, in our modern day, fear fire. We pretend like we like fire until fire gets out of control, and then we're terrified of fire. I remember when I was in seminary, a whole side of the mountain was on fire and I could see it from my house every single day and nobody could stop this fire and it was getting more and more out of control. People were fleeing their house. Some of you have even had to flee houses randomly because of fire and it gets out of control very quickly. How much more do you think James's audience, the people of the first century, feared fire? They had nowhere near the amount of firefighting capabilities that we have. They would see fire as an unstoppable force that could start so small and suddenly get out of control and wipe out an entire city like it did in Rome in one time. Right? You just have this nice little cute fire. Between you and your family. It's just it's no big deal. It's just a fire between us and our family. What stays in our house is here. This is fine, but then suddenly the drapes catch on fire. Of course, they didn't have drapes back then, but you understand what I'm saying. And then suddenly the whole city's on fire, all because of your fire, because it's impossible to stop a fire in those days. This is a horrifying image that James is giving us here. And notice the frightful words that he uses. He 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 throws on so many metaphors in verse six that uh You know, commentaries are a little confused about what exactly he's meaning, but it seems to me as though he's just describing a lot of terrifying things. Your tongue is like a flame, and that is a scary thought. Notice, it is a world of unrighteousness. It is a world, you could say, packed with potential. But not for good, but for evil. It has tons of potential. You walk around fully armed with, Tons of evil that you could do at any time. It is a world of unrighteousness. And notice our tongue is set in our members. It is, you could say, perfectly positioned to pollute. It's right there, set in your members, ready to destroy and defile everything. And notice the tongue is also described as uh, setting on fire the whole course of our life. Now, that's a very hard thing to interpret and translate but what he's talking about is is essentially the, the tongue can just destroy every aspect of your life and maybe you could even say it can destroy bad moments make them worse it can destroy even good moments really quickly really easily It is a wheel, the word could be, which means maybe everything is connected within itself and suddenly everything's connected. Maybe there's a picture here of a chariot wheel that catches on fire, which is a humorous image to me, but it's supposed to uh, cause terrifying thoughts to happen in us. My whole life is easily, quickly, suddenly set on fire by the destructive power of the tongue. And then notice also, it is set on fire by hell. And by that, I'm sure it's referring to the enemies of God, not by hell itself. Satan is constantly fueling the destruction that the tongue causes. We have tons of potential for evil. We have a whole life of flammable material to work with. And we have an evil enemy that is eager to ignite everything into flames. Once again, do you see the point here? The simple point here is you can do a lot more damage with your tongue possibly than you can even do good with your tongue, right? James is not interested in talking about the potential of the tongue as much as he first wants to secure in our minds that we can do a ton of damage to our life and to the lives of those people around us simply by loose talking. Small, insignificant words. I had a pastor friend who's in some hardships. And I remember he, he said this to me, and it's kind of stuck with me for a while. He was like, you know, I can't fix everything with my words. I know I can't fix everything, but I know that I can always make it worse. Right? Sometimes that's just the nature of living in the world you live in, right? You can't fix everything, but you can always make it worse because you have a tongue set in your members. It is always easier to make your day worse, but it always starts first and foremost with your mind and how that mind is communicated through your mouth. You can always make your situation more and more difficult for you and for those around you, because your tongue is a fire, destroying quickly everything in its wake. Notice also it's described as an untamable beast. Right? How would you like to bring home a dinosaur and let it just roam free through your kitchen? How would you like to bring into our youth group a lion from the zoo? There is something terrifying about an untamed beast. It can cause so much destruction. You can't ever totally control it. Just when you think you have it controlled, then it goes postal on you and wipes out half the city, right? There's something (laughs) terrifying about an untamed beast. And James is saying here, even I, even I am humbled by the power of the tongue. Even I am mortified by the danger that it can cause. Even I have an untamed beast, even here, if I do not control it. And notice also, it is like a deadly poison. You only need just a little bit to cause a lot of damage. Once again, the emphasis here, the emphasis here is on how evil you can make things. For you and for those around you, your tongue, in other words, is dangerous. It's dangerous. And we should fear the destructive capabilities of our tongue. And until you are afraid of your tongue, you will never be useful with your tongue. Until you first know the damage that your mouth and your words and your little tiny morsels of gossip that you share with other people around you can be, you will never be truly useful for God. You have to first understand that your mouth is powerful But then you also must understand that your mouth is also dangerous. And this leads us to our third and final warning. The mouth, your mouth is finally revealing. Your mouth is revealing. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a fountain pour forth forth? From the same opening fresh and bitter water, can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh. Now notice this, notice what he's saying, it is possible to put on a religious front for a while, to say all the right things, to act in the right way, but eventually the true nature of your heart will come out, and it will come out through your mouth. It will easily come out, you you, you kind of you get a sense that it quickly, sneakily comes out, right? The the test for where your speech betrays your heart is not when all the pressure's on you, not when you're in small group, perhaps, and your small group leader's asking you a question, not when you're with all of your friends here. That might not be the test. It might be the test, but it might not be the test. The test is when the difficulties arise. What do you do then with your mouth? But note, notice this. It's a very scary thought. Your mouth is a, so to speak, free sample of the things that are going on in your heart. You go to Costco, you get some free samples, and this tells you there's more of this stuff down this aisle over here. If I just want to go down that aisle and get these things that I've been testing here, your mouth is a sample, an example of what is going on in your heart. Your mouth is the first way... The first indicator of what's going on in your heart. You could think of it this way your, ha- your mouth is the first exit on the drive out of your heart. What, what comes out of your mouth is-, is revealing who you are on the inside. And this is James's point, right? You produce according to your nature, you, you have the same mouth. The same mouth shouldn't be saying one of two things. That means there's something going on in the heart. And then he, he draws out this idea of the same opening, fresh water and bitter water. If, if one is coming out of both, something is wrong. There should only be one thing coming out. You produce what comes out of your nature. And, and just to see it, just notice this. What James is really saying is here, your, your heart is revealed through what comes out of your mouth. Remember how we've talked about how trials show you what's going on in your life? Remember how we talked about how you know, God's word is your mirror, showing you who you are on the inside? Well, God also uses your own mouth to show you. If you will, look at yourself through his mirror and say, what are my words? Are my words building up, encouraging, loving words? Or are they self-centered, self-seeking, proud, arrogant? You see your heart revealed through the mirror that is your mouth. It's showing you your heart every single day. That is is scary. That is scary news meant to humble you. Scary news meant to cause you to drop to your knees in agony over the evil that is still in your heart. But that should also be news that causes great joy. Because you happen to know the very God who is in the business of changing hearts. It might not be overnight, but when your heart is revealed to you, you confess it and you renounce it and you run to Christ and you seek his grace and his forgiveness. And you say in Christ Jesus, even your your stricter judgment is more mercy than I would actually receive for my sins. That is what a believer lives on they live for the grace of christ jesus even on their worst day when their hearts are most revealed but this will only happen if you are first terrified by what you see going on in your heart through what is coming out of your heart through your mouth because your heart reveals or is revealed in your mouth so your mouth is powerful your mouth is dangerous but your mouth reveals. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this evening. Bless our time in small group and our discussion. May it be profitable. May it be edifying. May it be encouraging. May you even help us to see ourselves more correctly according to your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.